worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is shown me in his praise. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose up from that grave. My God, so roll the stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh. 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 So, hey, yes, this is worth celebrating, right? There we go. There we go. It's so good to see you all. If you are new here, you're a visitor here, we are so glad that you are joining us today. Uh, my name is Jay. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. We begin each of our services with what we call a call to worship. So that's basically just a prompt. It's a prompt from God's word, a way to start our service, to hear from him and then respond in worship. So would you stand with us? 
as we begin our service together. I'm going to read a couple passages this morning. Um, we're going to read a, a brief passage from Luke 24, which recounts the resurrection, and then we're going to read uh, a portion of Psalm 118. Listen to these words. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. This is Psalm 118, a, a couple portions of it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Would you pray with me? O oh God, our Father, on this Easter Sunday, we remember how Christ the victim became Christ the victor. We recount that death did not have the final word. We remember how Christ proved his power to save in his resurrection. God, and we gather on this special Sunday to remember that he still has power to save. And we confess, God, that we need saving. God, we don't have it all together. We are broken. We are hurting. But you, God, in Christ, desire to show us compassion. And you also have the power to do something about our situation. Christ has defeated every sin. We declare that this morning. And every sin that we have committed, every sin that we will commit. So God, may our faith be strengthened this morning as we reflect on these truths. And may those in this room, God, those in this room who do not have faith in you, may they find it this morning. May this be the day of salvation for many here. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be present in this place today. Would you help us to see the beauty that is the gospel? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our hope with our life to find. 
Shadow 
it can sometimes feel it can sometimes feel out of place to sing of the resurrection of Jesus and, and celebrate Easter when it feels like so much pain and loss is happening around us. I, I just think of I think of Ukraine. <laughs> I think of social injustice. I think of disease. I, they all they all remind us of the brokenness of this world, and we often can't help but despair. But Easter is precisely what we need to remind us of our ultimate hope in this life. That Christ will return and bring with him final justice and peace. Christ, who is our king, not simply in name, but also in power. John, in, in Revelation 5, he sees this scene that that kind of mirrors this hopelessness we can often feel. He writes, uh, this is Revelation 5, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So what results? Those in the throne room, they sing a new song. They say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Church, Christ is the one who is worthy of all praise and glory on Easter Sunday and every day. So we're going to sing, Is He Worthy? These verses in the song, they're a kind of a call and response. So Eric's going to lead us through this. He'll sing the question. I want us to sing the answer back. And then we'll all sing together on the choruses and bridge. Let's sing together. Yeah. 
Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. We love you. This is my favorite day of the year. It's really good to be with you. If you are new here, um, we want you to know that this is a place for you. This is a family for you. And by the way, we do have some gifts that are sitting in the very back of the sanctuary, some gift bags that we put together. We'll remind you at the end of the service, but we would love for you to take one when you leave. It has a book in it, and not just any book. It has a book in it that is probably 
if you care about this, one of my top five favorite books of all time, um, and then some other things that will hopefully be a blessing to you this Easter Sunday. We would love to get to know you. Please, if you have some space, um, we would love for you to stick around after service, say hello, uh, come and greet us. We'd like to say, the staff, we're just wandering aimlessly around here. We have no idea what to do at the end of the service. Help us out. Come find us. Um, the other thing that I'll mention is we put a connection card in your bulletin each week. Please consider taking that out of your bulletin, uh, putting a prayer request on there. If you want to be in touch with us, make sure you put your name on it. Uh, you can indicate interest in the life of the church. We're very responsive to those cards. Just put them in the seat pockets in front of you. Uh, or you can put them in the brown box that's sitting in the back of the sanctuary. There's a virtual version of this as well, citychurchgmv.com slash connections, same card. You can fill it out on your phone. And then again, we will read it, we will pray for you, we will be in touch if you'd like us to be in touch. Uh, we worship a generous God, part of our responsive worship. As the people of God is giving generously, you can give online, uh, citychurchgnv.com slash give, or again, you have that brown box in the back of the sanctuary with some envelopes and some pins. Um, community groups are the lifeblood in many respects relationally of our church. We have nine of them that meet throughout the week. And so we hope, again, especially if you're new, if you're saying, what is this place? What are you, what are you up to? One of, the, one of the things that we are up to, one of our core rhythms is meeting beyond Sunday morning. So gathering together in people's homes to eat meals together, uh, to study scripture together, to pray together, to serve one another together, to serve our city together, to support missionaries together. We do a lot. All of these groups are open to everybody all the time. They're never closed. There's no waiting list. We would love to have you show up. You can even show up unannounced if you want to. Um, there's information in your bulletin. There are cards on the hospitality table on the back that have information about where these groups are. You can put a note on your connection card. We will help you get connected. But uh, we want you to know that these homes are open to you um, and available. We would love to have you participate. A couple of brief announcements before a special introduction. Um, we are having college students, if you're a student, uh, we don't do lots of college-specific things because we want you to be involved in our, in our community groups and in the life of the church and get to know people of all different ages and stages, but we are having a little game night this coming week, I think so, on uh, Friday evening. Is that Friday? I hope that's a Friday. Yep, at 7 o'clock. Uh, you can email this address, uh, nico at citychurch, should be gnv.com. If you email that one, you will go nowhere. So nico at citychurchgnv.com. I got to tell you, Nico is a real swell guy. It's worth going just to get to know him a little bit. Uh, but this is a great, just very casual space. Um, we would love to see you there, student. If you're not a student, I think you can still come. I believe non-students came to the last one. This we're very blessed by it. Had a really wonderful time. Um, so we'd encourage you to be a part of that. And we want to put, we're not making a big deal about it this Easter Sunday, but we want the, you to know that on, uh, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, so that will be May 1st, we are having... Uh, a celebration that's going to kind of conclude our building campaign. So we bought our building. If you're new, just surprise. Hey, we bought our building like a week and a half ago. Um, and so, yes, praise God for that. So now we are doing a campaign to um, raise funds to renovate this whole building, not just the space we're in right now, but we have the whole thing. And in a few years, uh, we will be, Lord willing, using all of it for the glory of God, uh, for the good of our city and our world. We are concluding our campaign uh, for as far as pledges, as people's turning in their pledges. You can find information about that on the table next Sunday. But then on the first, we're having a celebration. Uh, so after the second service, we're all going to have a big old lunch together. The entire church is going to go gather. Are we Bo Diddley for sure? No. Oh, Lot 10. That's right. Thank you. 
We switched. So lot 10, you literally have to walk outside and you will see an empty parking lot with beautiful trees um, and we will have a free lunch for you and we'd love to get to know you in some lawn games. It's just going to be a delightful time. So please come join us. This will be right after the second service. Everybody is welcome. Even if this is your first time, come join us. Be there. Celebrate what God is doing among us. So just so you know, that's coming up in two Sundays. We would love to have you there. Every month at City Church, we do something called Gospel and Life, which is a spotlight on somebody in our church who comes up front and tells you a little bit about what God's doing in their lives, how he is moving, how he is at work. When it's Easter, you get a bonus. So typically you do this once a month, but if you remember, we did it last week, and we're doing it again today. Um, so Christine Kunkel, who has been a faithful part of our church family for uh, many years now is going to come up, and she is going to share with you a little bit about the work of God in her life. If you would welcome Christine, that would be great. Hi, good morning. Happy Easter. As Tripper said, my name is Christine. So uh, I, I am going to share a glimpse into my story so that you may better understand how God has redeemed my life. While growing up as a child, I had very little understanding of the character of God and what his word says. We did not pray, read our Bible, or go to church. Aside from the 60s painting of Jesus on our wall and the King James Bible on the shelf, there was no other acknowledgement of God in our lives to my recollection. Much of this was due to growing up in a fractured home where God was not the center of our lives. Of course, it would be difficult to keep God at the center when other comforts of the world crept into our home, like drugs and alcohol. Due to the hold alcohol had on both of my parents, as well as the additional hold drugs had on my father, my parents divorced when I was four years old. This led to various forms of adversity, including financial instability, lack of consistent living situations, as well as numerous insecurities. I recall comparing my life to those around me and imagining that everything would be better if I lived in a two-parent household. This type of upbringing gave the appearance of providing security and peace. I have since learned that this is not always the case, <laughs> but as a child, it was the impression I had. Although I longed for something more than what my circumstances could offer, I did not know where to find it. By God's providence, I heard the gospel for the first time when I was about 10 years old, from a relative of mine, actually. She told me about the God of the Bible, who formed a perfect world out of nothing and made man in his image from the dust. Though initially perfect, humans chose their sinful desires over God thus causing death to enter the world, which ultimately separated man from God. Despite man's best efforts, back then and today, <laughs> nothing we do is sufficient to close that gap. Knowing this, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to dwell with us. Though he lived a perfect life, he was falsely accused and then crucified for the sins of man. The father's wrath was satisfied when his perfect son paid the debt we owe him because of our wrongs against him and others. God's promise to bring salvation to those who believe was fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead three days later, which is what we're celebrating today. Upon hearing this good news, 
I became in awe of the God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I realized that I lived in a fallen world and that my life was tainted with my sin as well as the sin of my parents. The understanding that Jesus forsook all of his possessions, status, and title for a most unworthy subject who had absolutely nothing to offer in exchange was more than I could fathom. And not only was he offering to pay the debt of my sin, but he was offering to make me a co-heir of his kingdom, to raise me up to his status. I realized that everything I longed for was found in him, peace, security, love, etc. By God's divine mercy, I accepted the gift that was offered to me by putting my faith in what Jesus had done and became a Christian. Although God began the process of making me a new creation, I still struggled with various sin areas still do. <laughs> One of those areas was brought to light in college while hearing a message on forgiveness. I was still filled with anger and resentment toward my parents due to all that I had experienced as a result of their sin, which I wasn't really aware of until that time. But then I realized that if God forgave me for all of what I did to him, he desired me also to forgive my parents. Through much prayer and repentance, God allowed me to forgive them and see my parents as he does, valuable humans who were made in his image. In Psalm 147, it says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, and that's exactly what he has done in my life. One important thing worth mentioning is that a couple of years after I became a Christian, my mother became sober, and over time, God has dramatically changed her life as well as our relationship. Praise Lord. <laughs> Although things with my mother have improved greatly, my relationship with my father has been incredibly turbulent. Due to my father's addictions, financial mismanagement, and other negative choices, he has spent time in jail, living in halfway houses, and experiencing homelessness. This period of my life was and has been incredibly heartbreaking. I have gone most of my life not really knowing what it's like to have a father. There were so many big events missed, so many tears shed and advice needed. I have mourned the loss of not having him be present in my life and have mourned that most deeply. I continue to pray for him and I ask that you would pray too and hope that one day our relationship will be restored to what God intended. Yet throughout my journey as a Christian, I have been reminded of what the Bible says about God. He is a father to the fatherless. And even if you have a father, he can still be your father, and a better one, I promise. <laughs> and he's the God of all comfort. Despite the periods of sorrow and suffering, I am confident that God allowed all of this to occur for several reasons, so that I would come to know God personally and so that I may share this good news with others. In Acts, Paul writes that God appoints the time and place that we are born into so that we may try to find him and know him. As you consider the meaning of Easter, would you also ask yourself whether God has placed you here at this time so that you too may come to know him personally, just like I did? Thank you. Thank you, Christine. We're going to pray for Christine in a moment. Um, after we read our <clears throat> scripture passage, which will be from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. Our, our passage for this morning will be from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The passage will be 
up on the screen. There are Bibles in the baskets in front of you. If you don't have one, you are very much invited to pull one of those out and follow along. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible. We want you to take those Bibles. We want to run out of Bibles here at City Church and get more. Uh, one of the reasons we have uh, people share testimonies like the ones that you just heard, especially on Easter, is because it's a reminder that uh, finding our hope in Jesus does not eliminate uh, struggle and difficulty and suffering in this life. But as you can see in what Christine shared, it is still a profound source of hope um, in rich meaning, even in, this, in, even in the midst of difficulty. So as Christians, we want to be very clear. We have hope in Jesus, but it does not mean that this life won't be difficult and full of very significant pain. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. Um, If you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Father, first we want to pray for Christine's father um, for physical and spiritual restoration. We cry out to you. We join Christine in praying for this. I pray that we would continue to pray through this throughout our Easter Sunday celebrations and Uh, meals, and so forth. And I pray that you would make us, Lord, keenly aware of the fact that there are people in this room right now that are here, that are hurting acutely, that are struggling. So in in the midst of this resurrection hope that we're celebrating, I pray that you would help us, you would equip us to bring that hope to each other today and be attentive to the needs of others among us. And Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you might use this text, that it may, it may not just sit in our heads, but or may it move into our hearts and change us, transform us. We love you, Lord, so very much, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for, for a lot of us, a lot of us, the past two years have been this, this protracted season of fitful nights of sleep, the kinds of nights where we're tossing and turning, where we're sleeping very shallowly, having strange and unsettling dreams that wake us up with a start. Sometimes the catalyst for these fitful nights 
of sleep are rather benign. You know, it could be surprise visits from people under the age of five. And as I wrote that into my notes this week, I did think to myself, I am jinxing myself so badly. And lo and behold, somebody under the age of five just this past evening made several appearances in our room, and now we have a new Easter tradition where I say to my wife, Sadie is risen, and then my wife says back, she is risen <laughs> indeed. Sometimes we sleep poorly just because of upset stomachs and, and bad gas. Sometimes we sleep poorly because we have just watched and we're trying to make sense of M. Night Shyamalan's movie, uh, Lady in the Water. We have no idea what's going on. But recently, recently our fitful nights have generally been a mashup of fear and anxiety and hopelessness. We've tossed and we've turned because we've been afraid of physical death, potentially affecting family members and friends and ourselves. And we've been anxious about the metaphorical death of our plans, our dreams, even our sense of meaning, if our sense of meaning is tethered to those plans and dreams. Well, what does Easter Sunday have to say about those fitful nights, especially the fear and the anxiety behind them? To answer that, I'm going to start by telling you a true story about someone who had a fitful night of sleep. Partly because God disturbed him, and partly because he went to sleep with his head on a rock. Nearly 4,000 years ago, a guy named Jacob was running away from his brother Esau. Jacob and Esau were the sons of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Now, I wish I could tell you that they were playing tag. I guess you could call it that. But Jacob was running away from Esau because Esau had vowed to kill Jacob as revenge for Jacob taking Esau's birthright blessings. And sensing the, the magnitude of Esau's anger and, and the gravity of his threats, Jacob's parents, so Isaac and Rebekah, they sent Jacob on a journey alone to their homeland so Jacob could hopefully find a wife and then buy some time for Esau's anger to hopefully subside. So Jacob set out from Canaan and traveled toward Haran, which is in, in northwestern Mesopotamia. One evening, along the way, after it had gotten dark, Jacob pulled a stone underneath his head and just fell dead asleep. And as he slept, and now I'm, I'm reading directly from the biblical book of Genesis. This is the first book of the Bible, chapter 28, verses 12 and 13. As he slept, Jacob dreamed. And behold, there is a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Now skip to verse 16 if you're 
following along with this, after the Lord spelled out a, a slew of promises to Jacob related to the land and to Jacob's offspring and the Lord's presence with Jacob, after all of that, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then Jacob goes on to name the place where he was sleeping, Bethel, which means house of God. Two things about this ladder that Jacob saw. Number one, the ladder that's in your mind's eye should really be kind of a a stone stairway, the kind of thing you'd find running up the side of an artificial mountain that the Mesopotamians would make called a ziggurat. That's the kind of ladder we're talking about, a stone stairway. Number two, and this is tricky, but you can do it, the Lord was most likely beside Jacob at the bottom of the ladder, not at the top. But doesn't verse 13 say the Lord was above the ladder? Yes, but the Hebrew being translated there could go a couple of different ways. And another very suitable translation there in verse 13 would read something like, the Lord stood beside him. That is Jacob. And and Jacob's emphasis on the Lord's presence in this place, so much so that he names it the house of God that makes the beside him translation particularly compelling. If you really want to get into this, uh, Richard Bauckham has done an amazing work on this passage and other passages in a book he wrote called Who is God? Key Moments of Biblical Revelation. So in the midst of a fitful night of sleep, which itself was part of a very fitful season of Jacob's life in which he was making a lonely journey to Mesopotamia with his life in danger, here's what God did. Look what God does for Jacob. He makes specific very reassuring promises to Jacob. And God was present with Jacob in a profoundly personal and supernatural way. All of which, both the promises and God's presence with Jacob, all of which, get this, had a lot to do with rest. With rest. The land that God promised Jacob was ultimately intended to be a place of rest for Jacob and his descendants, a place of abundant provision and safe haven from their enemies. And God promised to be present with Jacob and and keep him, that Jacob might trust in the Lord and find spiritual rest in him regardless of increasingly difficult external circumstances. The promise wasn't life is going to be easy. The promise was, I'm going to be with you, and I will stay with you Wherever you go. Now I'm going to tell you a second story. Are you ready? Keep in mind that in the eyes of my kids, this would qualify as a bedtime miracle, right? A second story. Two stories. You were expecting one story. You get two stories. You've never had it so good. Then you've then you got to be quiet and go to bed. About 2,000 years after Jacob's stairway dream. Not terribly far, by the way, from the Bethel where Jacob had his encounter with God. A guy referred to as Jesus of Nazareth was gathering some followers 
for a mission. Followers we know kind of more colloquially as disciples. One of those followers, Nathaniel, possibly the follower called Bartholomew and the other gospel accounts, was initially really skeptical about Jesus, especially his buddy Philip's claim that Jesus was the Messiah whom the law and the prophets pointed to. Why the skepticism? A lot of reasons, but look what's presented in this text. Prejudice. John chapter 1, verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can, can anything significant really come from this insignificant, small kind of backwater place? You and I would have taken big time offense to that, right? We would have tweeted a tweet about just how great Nazareth is, and we would have rallied a movement around our cause. But when Jesus saw Nathaniel, and he, Jesus knew what Nathaniel said. When Jesus saw Nathaniel, he simply said to him in verse 47, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And then Nathaniel said to him, uh, um, How do you know me? <laughs> and then Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel was so moved by the heart of Jesus for him and in his obvious supernatural power that Nathaniel said to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Church, people come to know Jesus in large part primarily because they encounter the supernatural power of God and the heart of God for them. They're convicted of their sin, and then they get this window into the heart of the Lord. But Jesus wasn't done yet. Instead, he answered Nathanael once more, saying, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Well, guess what? You're going to see greater things than these. And then Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is just an apocalyptic reference to Jesus himself. So, Wait a minute here. Is, is Jesus making an allusion to, to Jacob's dream? Is this the sequel? Definitely. But Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel was far greater than anything that Jacob experienced. Yes, the, the Lord was beside Jacob in a real sense, in a supernatural dream, but the Lord was beside Nathaniel. Do you see this? In the flesh, on account of Jesus, and now fully human, yet still fully divine, Son of God. And yes, Jacob really dreamed of a stone stairway with angels ascending and descending upon it from the heavens, but Jesus made a promise to Nathanael to become that stairway. Surely more glorious than anything you'd find on a, on a ziggurat. Why get involved with, with the stairs, though? Right? I mean, why did Jesus pull this imagery off the shelf during this conversation with Nathaniel? Because, I mean, this, this is a lot of content about steps. Unless you are a contractor, unless you still wear a Fitbit, or you're a fan of Led Zeppelin, you have never thought this much about ladders or stairs in your entire life. And stairs are just sort of, they're, just, they're kind of mediocre. They're there, right? Here's why Jesus used that imagery. And here's what Jesus was saying to Nathaniel. 
He was saying to him, Nathaniel, I have come to the bottom of the stairway. I have come to dwell among you on earth that I might ultimately become the stairway that brings you into the dwelling place of God forever. I am present with you right now in the flesh so that one day you might find yourself in the perfect presence of God. I don't want to get excessively philosophical here, but films with sequels work best when the first film ends with some unresolved narrative tension, and then the sequel comes out and just absolutely puts the button on the tension, just, just wraps it all up. And that's why you knew that Free Willy 2 was going to be a stretch when it came out. Okay? Because at the end of the first one, the killer whale jumps over the rocks. He's free. That is it. That is the end of the story. There is no unresolved tension. Everything is nicely cleaned up, and there we go. So we knew about the sequel. When we heard that that was coming out, we knew that it was going to need a brand new narrative and inevitably become this totally chaotic mess, which it was and why uh, one genuinely heroic critic called it <laughs> a poorly orchestrated sequel. Sit on that for a little bit and talk to me afterwards. But Jacob's encounter with the Lord at Bethel ended with all kinds of unresolved tension. There's a stairway to heaven, which is really intriguing, but we really don't know what to make of it. Plus, Jacob wasn't climbing it. He was dreaming about it. He was looking at it, but he wasn't climbing at it. And then the dream ends, and Jacob continues along the way. He continues on. What in the world? It turns out that Jacob couldn't climb that stairway. Nor could Esau, nor could Nathaniel, or me, or any of you. At the beginning of the book of Genesis, before we get to Jacob, here's a couple of really important things that we learn about humanity. Number one, we learn that God created human beings in his image to be in a gloriously beautiful relationship with him under his authority. However, number two, beginning with Adam and Eve, every human being tries to be wise in their own eyes and to put themselves into the authoritative God seat instead of trusting God and living according to his plan. Adam and Eve did it. I do it. You do it. Everybody does it across all time and space. And that, what we would call sinful posture, becomes the Bible's explanation for both the vertical and horizontal devastation that we find throughout the biblical narrative and then in our world today. Vertically, our sin separates us from the God of the universe. We become cut off from God relationally and even physically walking around in spiritual darkness while we search for significance and, and search for meaning in our performance and our 
possessions and our reputation. And then horizontally, our sin. It poisons the well. It poisons our relationships with one another. We become like Jacob, watching out for ourselves at the expense of our brothers and our neighbors. Or we become like Esau, vengefully trying to get back at those we believe have wronged us as they've selfishly looked out for their own interests. And then all of us together, we encounter day after day of frustration and and suffering night after night of, of fitful sleep, of tossing and turning. That's our world. And you know, these days, I just don't think I have to make much of an argument for all of this. We all see it. We all see the selfishness. We all see the violence. We see the crushing depression and and desperate searches for meaning in a world that doesn't feel like it has much meaning left in the bucket. This past week in the Atlantic, Derek Thompson cited a CDC study showing that from 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%, the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. That's our world. That's what sin does, vertically and horizontally. So on account of his matchless mercy and abounding love, Jesus came to the bottom of the stairway so he could eventually journey to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus was willingly and literally cut off for the sake of and in the place of cut off people. Jacob ran away from murderous threats, but Jesus faced them head on and paid for it with his life. Jesus experienced the pangs of death and and separation from the Father for Jacob's and for Esau's and for Nathaniel's and for us. And then Jesus rose again from the dead, cutting off the power of sin and death, thereby becoming a stairway to heaven for everybody who repents of their sinful rebellion against the Lord and puts their hope in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, There is no way up. Apart from Jesus, we cannot get to the Father and enjoy his presence. But Jesus is the way up. He is the way into the heavenlies, not just for angels, but for all of his followers. And I got to tell you, this, this place where Jesus is taking us, it's going to be something. Jacob called the place where God met him Bethel, the house of God. But when Jesus returns in glory, he will lead his people into a new and better Bethel, an eternal city where God will quite literally dwell with his people and be with them as their God. Those of you this morning who are followers of Jesus, sinners who have put your hope in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us, and now I'm just quoting the Lord's promise to Jacob, that Jesus, 
is with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. Just like Jacob, in this world, you will continue to have trouble. There will still be fitful nights. But Jesus is with you, even now, by the power of the Holy Spirit that he has sent to all of his followers. And, and Jesus invites, beckons, weary people like ourselves to come to him that we might find true rest for our souls, even if we've come up short yet again, even if the world is just too much for us and we don't know if we can go on. As I saw someone else put it this past week, here's what resurrection hope means. It means this, that Jesus is not tired. You're tired. Jesus is not tired. And he is not tired of you. Jesus is not tired and he is not tired of you. And he is with you. And he beckons you to come and be with him. And remember, when Jesus, the stairway, leads us into the new Bethel, a land far greater than the land that the Lord promised to Jacob and his descendants, when that happens, then our troubles will fully and finally end. We will be perfectly safe from our enemies. We'll have everything we need, and then some mourning and suffering will be no more, and we will live forever in the very presence of God, worshiping him, and enjoying him. One more thing for followers of Jesus concerning these promises that we've just been talking about. Please leave with these kinds of promises when you tell others about Jesus. People are walking around desperately aching and searching for meaning and hope. Show them that Jesus gives them the meaning and the hope that they're looking for. Arthur Brooks said something just a week ago in, in an editorial that I think is very relevant evangelistically. He said, if you want a chance at changing minds in this polarized world, stop using your values as a weapon and start offering them as a gift. Show people that this Jesus you have is a gift. Those of you here who are investigating Jesus, or even those of you who, quite frankly, really connected with that free willy thing because you're like, I'm like a killer whale that's trying to get out of here, that's trying to get over the rocks, that's me. Do you see that you can stop climbing now? Or to put it another way, do you see that you get to stop climbing? Do you see that you get to try to climb your way to God on your own power? that you get to stop trying to perform some sort of identity that people will affirm and instead enjoy the identity that God has given you when he created you. You see that you can stop wandering around in the darkness searching for meaning. And if you're being really honest with yourself, you aren't getting anywhere anyway. <laughs> because we can't find heavenly things on our own. Nobody can climb the ladder. But Jesus can get you there. Because he's the stairway to heaven. Would you put your hope in him this Easter Sunday morning and find your rest in Jesus? It will not be an easy road. 
but it will be a meaningful, hope-filled road that ends in eternal rest in the new Bethel. And that's why we're here. And that's why I'm up here, you know, waving my arms around. That's why we did, for crying out loud, a sunrise service at 7.30. It was all muggy and we were getting all hot and we're unplugged. We're not doing that just for kicks. We're doing that because we have something beautiful and marvelous that we want you to know about. If it means that people going to Opus Coffee think we're weird, I'm like, what the heck did we just stumble upon this seventh? Amen. That's how wonderful Jesus is. Would you put your hope in him this morning? Every week at City Church, we participate in the Lord's Supper together. And what this is, is a visual sermon that illustrates what we've just been talking about. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, with his followers, the folks we were just talking about. And during that meal, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. To this one of you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner after the meal, he took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again, because he rose again, which is what we're celebrating this morning. And he ascended into the presence of the Father, and he will return to take his people into a perfect place of rest in the new Bethel. Come and be ministered to by the Lord through this meal. This is a time of remembrance, yes, but the Spirit of God is at work in such a way that when you come, he will minister to you. He will fortify your faith. And if you're one of those people that's out there, it's like, I'm, I'm too sinful. You're the kind of folks where I want to take these elements and personally walk them to you. That's who this meal is really for. People that say, I need that Jesus so desperately. Yes, come and take and remember and let the Spirit of God work in your heart this morning. If you are here and you would not say, you're a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. City Church is a place for you to come and be and to ask hard questions and to wrestle with everything. Yes and amen. Instead of taking a meal, you wouldn't say that you believe in, at least not right now. We would encourage you to simply meditate on what we've just been talking about. Um, come ask us those questions. Put something on your connection card. Put the gotchas on there, whatever. We love you and want to have conversations with you. I'm going to pray, and then after I do so, um, you will see that there's an elder and a deacon on either side of this table. They will have a bowl, and in that bowl there are some uh, wafers, and when you approach them, they will simply take one of the wafers and put it in your hand. And then you can pivot and take a cup of juice. You'll find some cups of juice that are sitting on this table. So after I pray, come and receive um, from one of our elders or deacons, and then you can pivot and find a cup. You're welcome to eat and drink when you receive them. Either you can stand up here and kneel up here if you want. You can go back to your seat. You can go back in the lobby. After we're finished serving communion, the elder and the deacon who served it will be back in the lobby. He would love to pray for you. Even if you're brand new and you've never met any of us, come. If you desire prayer, find us. We will pray for you. We would love to pray for you. Lord, we give you praise for this 
Resurrection Sunday reminder, Lord, that indeed Christ's body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, that we might have new life and rest and hope. And Father, I, I pray that those of us who are downcast, if we're being honest, who are feeling awfully hopeless, who are hurting, would you lift up their heads in particular this morning and minister particularly to them by your spirit? And for those who don't know Christ, I pray that they would see this morning that Jesus and the hope that he gives us is a gift. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
invite you guys to stand with us as we sing a few more songs.
one more song together. We just, we just sang of Christ's victory over death some 2,000 years ago, but that was just the beginning. Christ didn't simply accomplish something in the past, but in this victory, he has both secured salvation for us right now, and he has given us hope for the future. So we want to sing of this hope this morning as we finish our time together. So let's sing. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will to the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing. truth can call, what truth can call the troubled soul. God is good, God is good, where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trial. The waves that brings us down and to the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah! Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah! Now and ever we confess Christ our hope. To the grave, unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, there we will rise to meet the Lord, 
Thank you again for joining us this Easter morning to celebrate Christ's resurrection. A few quick reminders and then the benediction. Um, hey, uh, if you uh, have not filled out a connection card yet, would love for you to do that. Please fill that out. Drop it in the box on your way out. There are also those gifts in the back corner for any guests. Please do grab those. Would love for you to take one of those home with you. And we have so many pastries still they're overflowing, so load up on the carbs, guys. Load up. It's Easter. Um, one final announcement. We do have a questioning Christianity class. The very last week is this Wednesday evening in the community room at 6.30. Is that correct? So I would love for you to attend that. It's going to be kind of a catch-all discussion night. So great um, final thing to come to. Okay, uh, our benediction. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis was a mid-century scholar, 20th-century scholar, and he said that Christianity, if uh, not true, is of no importance, but if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing that it cannot be is moderately important, right? And so in reflecting on that, thinking about the, the reality of Christ's suffering going to the cross for us and Christ's resurrection for, to, to bring us life eternal and forgiveness of our sins, it is not only infinitely important, but gives us infinite hope and infinite joy to face any and every circumstance in this world. And on that note, I wanted to read Romans 8 as our benediction. The Apostle Paul writes this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can, who, who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the hope, the power that we have now through our risen Savior. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Go in peace.